pardon the language, he said, buying a mattress f***ing sucks, and someone's gonna change that. Hi, I'm Micah Rosenblum, host of Collective Wisdom, the podcast where we interview founders to learn what gets them out of bed each morning. I'm a venture capitalist with Founder Collective. We're an early-stage VC firm that has invested in companies like Uber, BuzzFeed, and Periscope. That voice you just heard was Philip Krim, the co-founder and CEO of Casper Mattresses. I recently sat down with Philip to find out how he dreamt up the idea for a mattress company and what keeps him up at night as his company grows. Lesson number one, there's a big difference between being inspired by a big company and creating just another cookie-cutter clone. But we, we never called ourselves the war before mattresses, and, and we consciously stayed away from kind of any parallels to kind of other companies because we didn't want to get pigeonholed. Uh, because I think you have to think about doing things independently, and every business will have to do things differently. And, and Jeff said to us early on that, you know, I'm flattered when companies say I'm the, you know, Harry's for X or I'm the Warby of X, but don't do that. Own kind of what you're doing. Talk about how you have your, your own business model with your own ideas. And I'm sure there are a lot of parallels, but oftentimes I think those shorthands get uh, out there just because people need a really quick way to understand what the business is. And uh, so I, I think it's a, a, a quick kind of way to describe the business model. But I think to entrepreneurs, I, I wouldn't get overly focused on saying, how do we take our business, our product, our category and fit it into what Warby did or what Casper did or what Harry's does. And, you know, hopefully all those businesses have something that's interesting and, and appealing, but uh, almost certainly none of them will be exact cookie cutters for other industries. And, and I don't think it's healthy for entrepreneurs to think about it that way. The problem with just saying that you're Warby for this or Warby for that is that it's easy to copy a business at the surface level and ignore deeper learnings. Many founders think that the secret to Warby's success was great design or PR marketing, but it was really their foresight to select a market that was dominated by a company with a near monopoly and overpriced products. There were a lot of unique aspects to the eyewear industry that isn't true in a lot of other industries. And this created a unique opportunity for Warby to offer a better product at a lower price while still enjoying healthy margins. Lesson number two, you need to really understand why your market works the way it does in order to improve it. When you check into a hotel, you don't look at a really complicated matrix of what kind of firmness of bed you need because in reality, one, one kind of firmness can suit almost every type of sleeper and, and body type. And the reason why mattress stores have 60 or 70 different choices is to drive you in, to get you to start at one price, spend a lot more than you have to, and to have a, a commissioned salesperson who knows what's on the floor navigate your entire sales process where you have no information. So the information asymmetry and the paradox of choice were two things that we thought consumers hated about traditional mattress buying experience and something that we didn't think added anything to the ultimate goal, which was to get a great night of sleep. And so we really set out to build one perfect mattress that was perfect for everyone, that provided universal comfort and support. And you accomplish that by using the latest materials that are dynamic, that do respond to different body types. And, uh, and I think we accomplished that. We, we still sell one type, and, and that's what we will sell going forward, and we think it's perfect for everyone. And we started asking ourselves, why wasn't there a brand like Warby Parker in this space that was uh, exciting, fun, connected with people, and, and went direct to consumer? And so my background was in e-commerce, and you know I knew you could sell this product direct to consumer, and, and I met one of my co-founders, Jeff, who had a background at an industrial design firm at IDEO, and he actually had worked on the mattress space before. And so we started talking about how the idea would get really interesting if we could make one of the world's best mattresses. And 
I, we wondered if there was a construction that would make sense that you could go direct and, and we would not have to worry about kind of the retail sales presence and, and any of that kind of cheesy stuff because that, that skews how people build mattresses. And we started combining latex foam and memory foam, which had never really been done before. And so uh, that's what our final product ended up having, a, a marriage of two different kinds of foams that creates a wonderful sleep surface. We have a patent on that construction. And uh, between the product and the brand, we, we launched April 22nd of 2014 and, and have been off to the races ever since. Philip didn't just come up with a cool name and a slick website. He took full inventory of the industry. He found that a couple companies own most of the brands, and there hasn't been any meaningful innovation in 20 years. Most of the products are targeted towards baby boomers with bad backs. And frankly, the purchasing experience in this industry is awful. Mattress dealers make used car salesmen look like upstanding citizens. Trust me, if you've been looking for a mattress, you know what I mean. So he developed a patented approach to manufacturing the beds and figured out how to ship them in really small boxes. And before he tried to revolutionize the industry, he figured out what was really broken. Lesson number three, we don't need the internet of thread count. I don't wear a wearable anymore, but I went through the jawbone phase and I think that was really interesting, especially on the sleep tracking side. My frustration is a frustration that you've heard from a lot of people and why people stop wearing wearables is because it's great to see this data and chart Although I often knew if I got a good night of sleep or, or bad night of sleep, uh, but then there was nothing I could do about it. And so I think that gap in the marketplace is something that's really interesting and something that uh, we talk a lot about is that if you can't do anything with the data, then what, what good is tracking it or, or studying the data or having that? And so we do see a, a world where potentially uh, data ends up influencing how you sleep. And, and that's an interesting kind of conversation to have and think about. Uh, I think we're a ways away from that and haven't seen anyone do anything interesting. Not every product needs to be hooked up to the internet, and Casper has been disciplined about not just adding technology to their products for tech's sake. I'm sure they could have added sensors that track how you sleep, when you got up, you know, when you went to the bathroom, but that wasn't what he set out to build. Founders often shoehorn certain tech elements into product to make it more attractive to VCs, or at least to what they think VCs want to hear, and ultimately that can be counterproductive. Lesson number four, if you can't hide it, flaunt it. People do more than sleep in their beds, but you'd never know it by what you hear in their advertisements. Casper was unafraid to talk about what happens when we turn off the lights. You know, passionate Kindle reading, hardcore wrestling over covers, and some playful uh, It was something that was consciously part of our design. Huh. So mattresses are used for both sleep and sex. And one of the big knocks against kind of pure memory foam beds was a lot of times you feel like you get stuck in it. And I think that's the, the beautiful part about marrying latex foam with memory foam is that you get the best of both worlds and none of the deficiencies. So you never feel like you get stuck in it. It doesn't absorb all of the energy. You get the traditional bounce that you want in a mattress through the latex. You get airflow through the latex, but you also get the comfort and support from memory foam being in the middle. And so that's why we think it's a, a very inventive design that, that kind of is the best of all worlds available to uh, someone who's looking to get a great night's sleep but knows that you're using your mattress for other things as well. Lesson number five, don't worry about your name too much. One of my co-founder, Luke's uh, roommate at the time, was named Casper, actually Casper with a K. And we all thought it was kind of funny when we were working from Luke's apartment that we would look at Casper and he was on a twin mattress, but he was a guy that was about 6'6", so he didn't <laughs> quite fit on it. And uh, it's something that we just kept coming back to, and at some point we ha had to make a decision, and, and Casper was what we went with. Be judicious when crafting your marketing plan, but don't obsess over finding the perfect name. Get something that hasn't been trademarked and where the URL is still available. But the naming process for Casper wasn't deeply considered, and they didn't hire big agencies. Things seem to have worked out just fine for them. 
Lesson number six, position your brand, but be open to thinking bigger. When we first had the idea, I remember in our first pitch deck, it said mattress for millennials. But what we've seen is that we, our sweet spots actually skewed a little older than that and that we span really wide. And so uh, while I do think that millennials uh, shop differently and, and look for kind of different qualities, I think there's certain universality of a great product at a great price sold directly to you where you could avoid traditional retail, especially in a category like mattresses where traditional retail is so terrible, that, that kind of appeals to everyone at all ages. In the event that people outside your target demo fall in love with your product, be prepared to capitalize on it. Lesson number seven, building a company, not a cult. And uh, we've always stayed away from like the prescriptive content around you need your eight hours of sleep and you have to do this before bed and that before bed and this when you wake up because uh, for most people it's just not practical and it's not reality. And so our belief was always whatever sleep you can get, it should be the best sleep. So you need the basics, you need a great mattress, you need a great pillow. Um, you need a great set of sheets and, and beyond that, there are other things you can do. And if you have the time and inclination, great, but not, not necessary. People have been sleeping well for uh, a very long time and, and will continue to. Mission-driven startups have a place, but sometimes it's okay just to make a product that works better, is less expensive and easy to buy. Lesson number eight, make the cash register ring before advertising on subway cars. You need to start with the most measurable marketing channels to start before scaling up to less measurable options. And it's still something that we, we struggle with, we debate, we talk about. Um, the way that we thought about it originally was that we kind of wanted to work our way up the buy funnel. And so we looked at kind of starting with very transactional, very end of funnel media. So retargeting was kind of the first effort that we did. We then went upstream a little bit to search. Uh, then to some display that was layered with some, some pretty specific targeting around uh, the demos that we were looking at. And um, you know, today we, we stand where we're kind of doing full funnel marketing all the way from TV down. And uh, I, I think that's just the way that we thought about kind of layering into different things. And I think one thing that we, we do have conviction on is that it all works together, uh, that you, you can't look at, at certain segments overly siloed because uh, especially with our product, it's a highly considered purchase. It's something that happens over a long period of time. And so consumers naturally are in multiple channels, consuming multiple types of media. And so if you're smart about how it all works together, then I think it becomes very accretive. Lesson number nine, if customers go crazy for your product, jump on the opportunity. Over 26,000 people have made these unboxing videos showing how the Casper mattress expands enormously after being released from the shipping box. Listen. Did you guys hear that? It's blowing up on, on its own. It sounds like it's blowing up, doesn't it? Yeah. Look at it. It is blowing up. Bumpy, all on its own. That looks so comfy. What? This isn't something the team planned. In fact, it's great free marketing. But when they saw it, they made it a feature of their marketing plan. Yeah, so I'll definitely admit that we never expected the unboxing process to be something that was so highly shared. Uh, I know like we spent a lot more time thinking about the mattress design and we thought people would take pictures of the mattress once it was unboxed and share that. And so we spent, I think, a lot more time focused on that. We did decide that we want to make every step of the experience wonderful and, and something that was really thoughtful on our end and, and shows people that we really put the care in every step. And that includes the unboxing and the packaging design. and. Uh, what ended up happening was that that became way more shared than anything else. And it was really awesome to see people share it and, and just their enthusiasm about it because it, it comes in a very different form factor than you're used to. 
Uh, I remember one of our first customers put on Google Glass and, and filmed the whole <laughs> unboxing experience. And it was just incredible. And at the end, you just hear him uh, kind of sigh in, in satisfaction while he's laying on it. And uh, it was really awesome. And, and we had seen that happen with other brands. It, it wasn't something that we thought would happen with ours. Uh, but we're very happy that it has because it, it's definitely become a great source of sharing. Lesson number 10, culture needs to be cultivated. Culture is a real important asset for companies. What works for five people isn't necessarily what works for 50, and the culture has to evolve as you get to 500 employees. And this is an important job for the CEO. One of the tools that we recommend is our portfolio company, Culture IQ, which you can find out more about at cultureiq.com. It's hard to know what the day-to-day -day is like as a company scales when you've never been in a company that large. And so it's, it's very different today than it was six months ago, and that was very different than six months before that. Um, I would say the one trend that's continued is that I still spend a lot of time on recruiting and trying to build the team, and uh, it's still something that I'm very focused on and that all of the founders are very focused on, and we've been on uh, focused on that since day one. Um, I think the things that have changed are that you now have a bigger organization and they're kind of things that you have to think about that, that we never had to think about at a smaller organization about how you maintain culture, how you build communications throughout the team as the teams grow. Uh, and all of that is, is something that we're trying to be very thoughtful about that we, we try to stay ahead of. Uh, we talk to other companies that have grown quickly and, and kind of what mistakes they've seen and uh, try to get smart on that. Uh, and, you know, of course, there's, there's no easy solution to it. And I think uh, hopefully the, the company continues to grow and grow rapidly, and that will always present a, a set of different challenges. And you see certain CEOs like... Mark Zuckerberg, who, who have just stepped up beautifully and, and can manage a really large and complex business. And, you, you know, you've heard him talk about it. That's not something that you're groomed to do day one. It's something that you just have to learn over time. And, and hopefully we stay aware of uh, what the potential pitfalls, pitfalls are and, and learn quickly and, and get good advice along the way. Lesson number 11, CEOs need to believe in continuing education. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Although I'm, I'm happy to see kind of a shift in the investor thinking where it's not that you have to replace the founder because they've gone, they've become outgrown. It's more that you have to supplement the founder sure. with a management team that's been there and done that and, and is more of a partner and coach to you. And you see that with, with Mark and Cheryl, you see that with the Google founders. Uh, and I think that's the better way to think about it because uh, I, I'm a little biased, but I agree with the, the sentiment of certain investors that, that there's certain founders' DNA that, that needs to stay within the company and, and needs to be there to continue to innovate. And I think that was lessons learned by Apple and, and others that came before. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing I've learned is that founders who are self-aware and getting to help themselves to, to figure out where they need support or coaching or a COO or a CFO or whatever um, are often able to go the distance. Those that reject help, um, that that's the sign. And I, and I think self-awareness probably more than any other skill in my mind is the the, the great the most important one in running an organization or being an entrepreneur yeah I think it's critical we talk a lot about being self-aware being empathetic and, and being thoughtful and uh, and it's certainly something that I think we hire around uh, every position and, and it's certainly something I think my co-founders have through and through and I think it's it's critical to kind of uh, just understanding what what's coming ahead of us and, and trying to stay ahead of, of the curve there Lesson number 12, as your startup grows, the problems don't change. They just get harder. 
it's an interesting frame of mind to realize that it doesn't get any easier. And I remember when we were raising our seed round, we were so jealous of companies that had raised a few million bucks. And then, you know, we raise our seed round, you're so jealous of companies that raise. And you just think that all of these milestones will make it easier. And then you'll have these hires that'll make your life easier. And uh, in reality, it, it doesn't get any easier. If anything, it gets harder. Uh, but that, that means that you should stay focused on kind of the short term of what you need to do and, and what you need to execute on and not get overly focused on kind of big valuations or, or what the future may hold other than the future you want to build uh, because every step is very interesting and, and very, I think, uh, informative of what future steps for your company will hold. And uh, so to me, it was kind of always staying focused on building the right team, building a great culture, uh, executing on fewer things better as opposed to trying to do too many things. And that was advice that we got from my board. And uh, and I think that that's been good advice that, that we've tried to heed and, and um, I think it's, it's staying focused on kind of your core mission and what you want to accomplish and not getting distracted by the opportunity to do too much or uh, what may come in the future. You know, in that spirit, uh, we had uh, the last episode, Sam Yagen, actually the day he took Match Group Public Match, Tinder, OkCupid, and I was asking him about what it was like the, on the roadshow pitching to hedge funds, mutual funds, his IPO. And he said, you know, it's a lot like raising money for your seed, your series A, your series B. It's like you got to inspire them on the vision. You got to, you know, tell them about the numbers. And just to your point, it's like it actually gets harder, but it's not that it's it's different in the scale. But all those same challenges don't go away. You know, having to convince others who may be skeptical about the business or the category. They're just bigger and they're sitting on bigger pots of money than we are here at at a seed fund. But um but it's amazing how much those same skills are required throughout the journey. If you're a founder who's having trouble sleeping at night, consider investing in a Casper mattress. Available at casper.com. If you need venture capital, reach out to us. Contact us at contact at foundercollective.com. And if you like the show, please follow us at F Collective on Twitter, on Snapchat. And please leave a nice review on iTunes if you like what you heard. Collective Wisdom is produced by Joe Mancuso and Joe Flaherty here in New York City.